This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The Message on iTunes. How Your World Works is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk-free trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code WORLD. That's Stamps.com, promo code WORLD. New York City does not have a shortage of famous landmarks, but there are a number of those that really only attract a certain type. For instance, I'm outside a firehouse right now in Tribeca with PM editor Kevin Dupsick, and I see a guy around my age whose girlfriend is taking his picture in front of the building. In fact, just at this moment, there are at least three different people snapping pictures around us. Are you guys... Oh, you're, you're from Italy? Yes. Yes? Uh, I don't speak English very well, Wait, but... Uh, but you know this word, though, I bet. Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters, yes. The, the best movie in, in my life, uh, Ghostbusters. And this is what I'm talking about. It's not just because we're only a week away from Halloween that a group of people, many of whom, let's admit, are getting way too old for this, are snapping pictures of a firehouse. A firehouse that just happened to be the location of a 1984 comedy about professional ghost removers. There's something deeper, something almost supernatural about the pull this building has on those here. Did you, know, it, did you plan to come to see the firehouse, or did you just... Ah, no, no, I planning. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah, that's correct. The, uh, the, um, the empire, the, the, the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. and Ghostbusters, the, the three. <laughs> that's great. So on the show today, we go looking for a job in the ghost hunting business, or ghost busting, if you will. We're in New York, the city that never rests, Except now it's 2015 instead of the 1980s, and business is a lot harder these days. There's more competition from reality TV stars, most of the good ghost hunting jobs have moved overseas, and if you want to buy a firehouse in Tribeca, it will cost you about $10 million. Not to mention that the Obama administration's aggressive EPA policies make it all but impossible for small businesses to operate in ecto-containment chamber. Anyways, we will do our best. We are determined to make a go at it. We will be investigating the specter of a young girl at the Brooklyn Public Library. And we will be talking to an expert in the field, Dr. Karen Stolzno, the author of Haunting America. Plus, Richard Edlund. He was the special effects supervisor on the Ghostbusters film and joins us to talk about ghosts and green screens. I'm Jake Dillon. This is How Your World Works. I'm with Ivy Marvel. She's manager of special collections at the Brooklyn Public Library's main branch. And in a way that lines up very nicely to how I'd always hoped my life would turn out, we're headed down to the library's basement to look for ghosts. In researching this episode, I began by looking for haunted or supposedly haunted locations in the city that I could explore. New York is an old city, and therefore it has no shortage of ghost stories. But most of the most famous legends, like a mistress of a general who was locked inside a closet and then left there to die, or the ghost of an old spinster who terrifies school children at a museum, happened so long ago that they no longer felt relevant. And likewise, more recent ghost stories seemed a little indecent to look into, because of course the victims in those stories are a lot easier to imagine. But above everything else, the biggest challenge into looking into credible ghost stories for a journalistic podcast might just be that there maybe aren't any. 
Again and again, I would read up on a possible haunting, and the more I read, the more the evidence would seem to suggest that the haunting wasn't real. And then I would have to remind myself, like, oh yeah, it's not real because it's not real. And this is one of the biggest barriers to entering the field of paranormal investigation. You know, you open up shop, you put up a sign, but who's going to call you? There just aren't that many ghosts. But there was one story that caught my eye. A case of a lost girl named Agatha Cunningham, who in 1977 disappeared on a school trip to the Brooklyn Public Library. Tragically, she was never found and was presumed to have been abducted. But since her disappearance, there had been these eerie experiences that had been reported. There was the evening when all of the telephones went off at once during a nightman shift. Or reports of hearing children's voices in the distance, in rooms that weren't near any children. And supposedly most of the events occurred in the basement of the library, and that's where you hear us headed in this clip. Yeah, and typically the only staff that comes down here um, is book location staff. But the thing is, what made the story different from all the others I'd read was where I found it. It's right there on the library's website. And on that official page, the library explains straight up that there was a little girl, that she disappeared there in 1977, and that many believe she haunts the library. There was even a small documentary that was made about it a few years ago. Ivy Marvel, who's with me in the basement, appears in the film, and in it she shows newspaper clippings from the library's archive from the time of Agatha's disappearance. This is an article from 1977, and it reported a little girl named Agatha Cunningham who had been at the library and disappeared shortly thereafter. And I thought this might be a ghost. So, as you might expect, the inner chambers of a grand 1940s Art Deco public library really does seem haunted. As a matter of fact, it looks exactly like you'd hope it would. There are vast rows of old, old books that disappear into a dark abyss on either side of you. And it's deserted, quiet, mostly dark. Plus there is the fact that they actually call a room in one of its lowest chambers, four stories underground, the morgue. That's where Ivy takes me. So this is, uh, yeah, this is our newspaper morgue. Okay, so I feel like I should jump in right now and warn some listeners that if you've enjoyed this ghost story so far, then you should probably just fast forward right now to the next segment. Because this, sadly, is the part where we're about to get all logical and ruin it for you. So, are you ready? Okay. You've been warned. So we should just, like, come clean. The Agatha Cunningham story is totally made up, right? Yes. Um, So the... Our youth wing department um, every summer has interns who work and they're high school students um, who help with all the summer programs and stuff. And that year, I'm not quite sure how it started, but I think it was a bit of a running joke just among the teenagers who were working that they were going to, like, make up this character um, and then make, you know, they built a little story around her, like, because, you know, like, as we were saying, it's easy to imagine that the library is haunted. And so when you have teenagers kind of exploring these spaces too, like it's the imagination very quickly starts running wild. So then as kind of a capstone project to that summer, they made the video. Um, and for that, um, Lee Fox in, in the youth wing fabricated the articles. Um, we had another staff member. We used her like childhood photographs. Um, and then she just... Uh, recruited various library staffers to play the different roles in the video but the whole thing was from the beginning like very tongue-in-cheek I don't think anybody expected that it it was going to be believed 
So what happened was not a huge controversy by any means, but about a year after the video went up, a Brooklyn paper did notice the post on the library's website and, quote, debunked the ghost story, pointing out rightly that there was no missing child named Agatha Cunningham in 1977. So more or less, no harm done. Some entrepreneuring kids and librarians came up with a good ghost story, and some other people were clever enough not to be fooled by them. That's not just a classic ghost story. That's maybe every ghost story. But what I like about this story is that I think it demonstrates the particular stickiness of ghost stories. Even today, when the perpetrators of this hoax have been outed on the internet, even though they only made it up four years ago, there are still other places, other websites that have picked it up and are running it just as it was published. There are lists of top 20 most haunted places in New York, or top 10 most haunted places in Brooklyn that just still run this story. Even today, it's hard to kill a good ghost story. This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now, uh, sounds like a no. Well, they don't really know what this is. Voices, music, breathing. But you know, I'm not gonna mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. So, as I mentioned at the top, the ghost hunting business is a lot different these days. There are reality TV shows and expensive gear websites that sell things like electromagnetic field detectors or green laser grids for some reason. And while it's really easy to be drawn into the stuff, there is no evidence that any of this equipment actually detects ghosts. After all, who can say if a ghost emits an electromagnetic field or causes temperatures to be lower? So we wanted to talk to someone who was knowledgeable in the field of ghost hunting, someone who was open to investigating the possibility of ghosts, but also kept the scientific approach to it. So joining me now to talk about it is Dr. Karen Stolzno. She's a linguist and the author of several books, including Haunting America, The Truth Behind Some of America's Most Haunted Places. Dr. Stolzno, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. So in your book, you visit a number of these so-called most haunted places in America, such as Alcatraz and an abandoned sanitarium. And through a variety of methods, both as a historian and other kinds of tests you conduct, you go looking for evidence of ghosts. And not surprisingly, I guess I should say you don't really find any. Um, But could you tell us a little bit about a site that you visited and how you went about investigating it? Okay, well, I, I think every place I tackle differently depending upon the stories. So uh, with the the Myrtles Plantation in St. Francisville, uh, I went there and one of the biggest claims, and it's meant to be one of the best claims for uh, spirit photographs, is that there is a picture of one of the ghosts there. Her name was apparently Chloe and she was a, a slave girl 
who was abused by the owner and it's said that she still haunts the premises. And uh, the best case evidence is a photograph of her just moving uh, behind a post um, uh, on one of the buildings or against one of the buildings. And so my husband, Matthew, and I went there and we tried to recreate that photograph. Um, and we found that with me posing as the, the ghost, that could give you that same kind of effect. Um, not only that, but the, the original photograph, uh, you can't get a hold of that. Instead, the photograph which is replicated is a photograph of the original photograph. Right. And so there are problems with the, the quality of that. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, it brings up a, a lot of things, actually, that are interesting. One being that, um, you know, this new uh, benefit of technology we have to look for ghosts now it used to be a lot easier for the guy in the 1970s to, you know, show a picture of Bigfoot or something like that. Now everyone has a camera. The influx of everyone being kind of armed with image capturing technology hasn't given way to proof. Yes, exactly. And when we do look at the evidence that was around 100 years ago, we had... Uh, people holding seances, and we now know that all of those were faked and that uh, people were using all different kinds of uh, tricks, uh, parlor tricks, to pretend that they were able to uh, speak to the dead. And they had spirit trumpets and uh, they had slates um, that that were... You could write something on and you could have a hidden message inside that you'd written before the seance uh, and that people would be materializing spirits and that would turn out to, and ectoplasm and those would turn out to be things like cheesecloth or just mm. uh, photographs and um, so the, this is all trickery and, and that was the best evidence of its day we do have better quality technology and yet we're still not coming up with anything better than pictures of orbs which can be explained away as dust and moisture um, lens flares things like that yeah. um, the evidence is still very poor so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the modern phenomenon of ghost hunting, if I could. Uh, it seems like, as you were mentioning, there has been a long tradition of spiritualists and those who've claimed that they are able to contact ghosts in this country. But most modern-day hunters, really in the model of Ghostbusters, I think, uh, have begun to appear all over the country and the world, in fact. And some of them are now the stars of long-lived reality TV franchises built around ghost hunting. And I know that you wrote a piece a few years ago on the subject called The Ethics of Ghost Hunting? Question uh, mark. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that. Uh, well, I think that uh, I wrote that ooh, going back to that 2009. And I think what inspired that was uh, it was a piece in a magazine, Haunted Times, it could have been. And the author was saying, we need some guidelines. We need some, a list of ethics for ghost hunting. And uh, so they came up with a number of do's and don'ts, and you shouldn't be inebriated when you do an investigation. You shouldn't be on drugs. Seems that's um, helpful for run most, and... most jobs, really. It's useful to not yes, be yeah. inebriated. Yeah. Unless you're maybe uh, so a musician. A, that's right, yeah, then that, that's just part and parcel of your job. Um, so they, they came up with a list, and I think my, my premise for the article at the time was that a lot of ghost hunting itself is unethical. And I've just seen some terrible abuses over the years of ghost hunting groups that have gone into private residences and they have done psychological damage to the families. They've done physical damage. There have been just lots of terrible things have gone on because there is no regulatory body for this sort of thing. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today. Oh, thank you um, very much for inviting me on the show. 
Dr. Karen Stolzno is the author of several books, including the best-selling God Bless America. She also has two forthcoming books, Not What the Doctor Ordered, and the novel Hits and Misses. That's M-R-S, Misses. But of course, we all know what's really scary these days, don't we? It's going to the post office. It's fraught. Its long lines can be downright terrifying. And a trip there is really very rarely described as a treat. But that's why there's Stamps.com. It's like having the post office right there on your own desktop, and you'll no longer be tricked into waiting in line and spending more than you need to on a postage meter when you use Stamps.com. So here's how it works. Sign up for Stamps.com, and when you want to mail a letter or package, you print your own postage from your computer and printer, and then you just give it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. How do you know what the right postage is, you ask? Well, when you sign up, you get a free digital scale for weighing your packages and calculating the exact cost. It really is like being your own post office without any of the hassle. If you like, you can even dress up like a mailman for Halloween. You can be a sexy mailman or a sexy envelope or a sexy tape dispenser or any item from the post office, because now you are the post office, and you are going to save. And when you sign up now, you can get this special offer. Just go to stamps.com and click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and you will get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer and the digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. So don't be scared. The only thing you should be afraid of is missing out on these savings and fear itself and werewolves. So visit stamps.com today and be sure to use the promo code WORLD. Obviously, a lot of the inspiration for modern-day ghost hunters came from the film Ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd, the writer of the film and one of its stars, is an avowed spiritualist, and that background was a key source of inspiration for the film. And that combination of humor and the supernatural was a huge part of Ghostbusters' appeal. Its ghosts are unworldly, cartoonish, or sometimes American brand mascots that come to life to destroy entire cities. Well, one of the men who created those ghosts was the film's effects supervisor, Richard Edlund. He's a four-time Academy Award winner for his work on the Star Wars trilogy and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and his studio, Boss Films, has probably done work on most of your favorite movies. But a warning, we play a clip in this segment that does have some explicit language in it. And spoiler, it was Winston. Mr. Edlund, thank you for joining me. Hi, Jack. How you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. All right. So we wanted to talk to you today specifically about Ghostbusters. Uh, Not only was this film a major success in its time, uh, but it's lived on to become a very beloved film, especially, I think, by people from my generation. And not only that, but this was a very interesting time in your own career because this is where you left George Lucas's studio to start your own visual effects company, Boss Films, and Ghostbusters was your first project. It was our maiden voyage. Yeah, I mean, I basically started talking with, with Ivan and Harold Ramis as they were writing the screenplay because the, because Dan Aykroyd's original script for the idea that had most of the, germ, the germinal ideas in it was 160 pages long, and that had to come down to about 90. So there were lots of outrageous things that, that, were, that were called for in the, in the original script that were beyond the, beyond the budget that we have, we're going to have to do it. Right. I think it, it, it had called for originally close to around 200 separate uh, visual effects. Something like that. And then, and then Ivan added a whole bunch in the 11th hour, and, and there, were <laughs> already, there was already blood in the shoes in the optical department. And the thing is that the big effects comedy has never been, had never been done, really. And, and we, had, we had a $5 million effects budget for that. 
and mm-hmm. I went over by seven hundred thousand. And but but uh, Ivan added like about a hundred shots. You know, I mean, uh, actually, he you know he I think he wanted to add a hundred and about a hundred and twenty shots. I think. And I met him in the parking lot with a samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about the samurai sword. Was that liter- was that literally true? I've, yeah, Ivan. We have to do a samurai cut here. We don't. We have. We don't have the the ability to do that number of shots. So we have to figure out what shots you really need and what we can really do. And and what was it like working on a comedy? I mean, had you ever worked on anything like that before? And you've got this. I guy hadn't. Out? I hadn't. And the thing is, it was great to work on the comedy. I mean. And, and as I mentioned before, I mean, since almost since we had so little time, and since all the shots had to be take one, I mean, it was an it was an incredible analog uh, feat to to set this light, set this set this uh, studio up to do this kind of work. Do you want to talk a little bit just about what it was like to create the the ghosts on the film? Yeah, I mean, basically, we did a, a technique that I developed on Raiders was was to fly kind of ghostly characters around uh, and then print them back in reverse so that so that the, the, the trailing edge became the leading edge and mm-hmm. so it was, it was kind of leading out towards you and uh, that was that was very effective uh, as an analog trick then there is the scene where the, uh, the, the, the beautiful ghost comes comes into uh, um, Dan Aykroyd's room. Bankman's, Bankman's dreams. Right. right. Yes. <laughs> so, but anyway, that was that was a pretty fun shot, and and that scene, the girl was done on a on a body pan. We had to build a body pan for her, and she was a she was an ex Playboy model. I think she was a centerfold uh, in one of the magazines, you know. So, so that was, was yeah. So yes, not not a not a, a puppet as a lot of the other ghosts are. No. So this film is one of the great examples of analog special effects in film, pre-digital filmmaking. And therefore, every visual shot had to be painstakingly composed and then composited into the film in a way that most likely we'll probably never see again. And there's a fantastic photo of you that I came across where you're standing on a large model stage of New York in Central Park West. And then standing next to you is the actor dressed as the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Right. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that scene right. and what went into it. That's, there's a miniature, that, that shot where the Marshmallow Man's walking down Central Park West towards Gozer Temple. Right. And he's going to climb the building and step on the church. Well, you know, Laszlo lit that that scene, that the the scene where he's coming down Broadway into Columbus Circle, had probably every arc lamp and, and HMI uh, high powered HMI light in New York on that scene because he had to light Columbus Circle, and not only that, but we basically were going to only have one take. Because all the cars got destroyed in the, in the take. Yeah, when, when you say all the cars, you mean the miniature cars then? That well, you, no, the real ones. Oh, the I'm real ones about, were I'm being destroyed the, too. The real shot. There was a real shot where he's where he's coming down, he's coming down Broadway towards Columbus Circle. He hasn't entered uh, Central Park West yet. Then we have the cuts back and forth, and then we cut to this grand shot of the boys in the foreground up on the roof, getting ready with the uh, with the with the Notrona ones. Mm-hmm. And we see the Central Park West miniature with the with the with the five foot six tall 
you know, the guy that played the Marshmallow Man wasn't really that tall. Okay. But but anyway, Bill Bryant. Anyway, he he was walking down, and we shot it. I think maybe seventy two frames a second, and uh, that had to be lit at a pretty high rate, and, and we're shooting that at sixty and sixty five millimeter that that plate. So we have in that shot we have the, the miniature street as the as the as the main element. Mm-hmm. Then we have a uh, a matte painting that includes uh, parts of, of Central Park, uh, sorry, Central Park on the left, and then we have a painting in you know down at the end of Central Park West, and the, and and the, the uh, whatever the, of the of the uh, city that you see back there is a painting, and we have a painting of the building on the right that's in, that in front of the boys, which are shot blue screen. Okay. Another element. So it's a very complex composite that was that was quite successful. Yeah, very successful, and I mean, became an, a, a you know one of one of your uh, many iconic moments in films. It's it's a wonderful scene, and there's a beautiful shot I like too, where it it just gets a little slow and it gets a little quiet, and you can see the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It looks like maybe they use models there, where there's actually buildings that are. Where, you, where the first time you see him. Yeah, yeah. you can see the buildings yeah, that was in the, front uh, of them. The idea there was that, you know, you didn't want to spring it on anybody right away. I mean, it's basically, you hear this boom, boom, boom in the soundtrack, and the camera's trucking along, and you see the tops of buildings that are miniature. And then you see through the buildings, which were shot blue screen, mm-hmm. and we got a mat of the buildings, and then you see the Marshmallow Man, you know, through this very thin slot. No! It can't be! What is it? It can't be! What did you do, Ray? Oh, shit! It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Richard Edlund. He is currently serving on the boards of the American Society of Cinematographers and the Visual Effects Society. So that's our show. This episode was produced by me, Jack Dillon. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers of Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Also, a big thank you to Ivy Marvel and the staff of the Brooklyn Public Library, as well as the makers of the Agatha Cunningham documentary. And thank you again to Dr. Karen Stolzdow. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, and while you're there, please leave us a comment. It helps us, and we'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, don't forget to check out our other podcast, The Most Useful Podcast Ever, hosted by Jacqueline Detweiler. It comes out in the weeks in between our show, and it's fantastic. If you're looking for new episodes, please check it out. And if you want to read more about ghosts, you can go to our website, popwithmechanics.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can subscribe to the print or digital magazine of Popular Mechanics for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jack Dillon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>